Nathan, and I'm one of the pastors here at Parkview. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Over the course of the last few months, a lot about our lives has changed. I mean, think about something you've said in the last six months that wouldn't have made sense in 2019. I'll trade you a couple rolls of toilet paper for some hand sanitizer or, oh man, I left my mask in the car, (laughs) right? Things are just so much different. Some things, some really important things are still the same. Parkview's mission is one of those things. Every day, we still think about the best ways to reach people with God's love. We ask ourselves what it means to raise people to be more like Jesus, and every single day we're watching people be released to change their world. As part of Parkview, whether you've attended a physical location in the past, or if you've always been an online attendee, you are part of that mission, and we want to encourage you in that. Another thing that hasn't changed much lately is that we're still taking a day-by-day approach to basically everything. So much continues to develop and change, and last week you heard Pastor Tim talk about the fact that the dates we were targeting to regather are likely moving. We want to be as open and transparent as we can be in this season, and we want you to have all of the information you need from Parkview when it's available. Without a doubt, the best way to stay aware is to make sure you're on our email list and to follow us on social media platforms. And remember, our teams are always here to help you find ways to stay on mission, take next steps, connect with others, and serve your community. So visit parkviewchurch.com slash next steps. I'll give you that again. Parkviewchurch.com slash next steps. Email online at parkviewchurch.com. That's another option to email online at parkviewchurch.com or use the chat feature on the homepage of our website. Lots of different ways to connect with us. Well, Pastor Tim is kicking off a new teaching series today that we're really excited about. Thanks again for listening. Enjoy. Mountains are still being moved. Strongholds are still being loosed. God, we believe, cause yes, we can see it. Are still what you do, and bodies are still being raised, giants are still being slain. God, we believe, yes, we can see it. That wonders are still what you do.
just one word You calm the storm that surrounds me With just one word The darkness has to retreat
Welcome, everybody. For the next few weeks, six actually, we're going to do this series called Rebuild. Uh, Rebuild because that's um, what this story of Nehemiah is all about. The concept of rebuilding has just been intriguing to me because it begins with the idea that something was built and then something changed and now pieces are being put back together again. And I believe uh, the walls of Jerusalem and our world are exactly in the same kind of place with this. So I think this is gonna really help us. Uh, Some of us have lives that have been blown apart by the things that have been going on um, with everything in our world. Some of us are in a situation where it's marginally changed things. And some people are in a place where life is actually better. And, and we've learned some things through this. And, and I get it, except that what it looks like is that we're not really gonna go back to the way things really were one way or the other. I mean, this is not just an interruption. This is a disruption, okay? And what I want you to know is is no matter where you're at with this, God can use your life and your circumstances to make something amazing happen. So I hope that you will join us over the coming weeks as we figure out how we can discover how to rebuild together. Okay, so to take you back, um, King Nebuchadnezzar, fun to say, uh, from Babylon. He not only killed people, he burned the temple, he tore down the walls surrounding the city of Jerusalem, all right? Old Testament story. So they wouldn't have the opportunity to rebuild it again. And the city is always defenseless without its walls, okay? Remember this. They would also always be at the mercy of Nebuchadnezzar or anybody else for that matter without the walls. So Nebuchadnezzar's time came. He gets conquered by Artaxerxes of Persia and Art was a little kinder to the Jews and permitted Ezra, who was a contemporary of Nehemiah, to go back and start rebuilding the temple, but he forbade them from rebuilding the wall. So, you know, it's kind of, Not great, but at least better, and who knows what's gonna happen. At the same time, Nehemiah is finding favor with the king. He became a cupbearer to the king. I mean, it sounds like a waiter job, but it's really like, well, for me, I mean, it would, be, it would be like the closest confidant that you have. For me, it would be Bill Brown, our executive pastor, the guy who's got my back more than anybody else. It's the most trusted position. Like, I wanna know how he feels, how he thinks, because this guy is, is that to the king. Because here's the deal. If someone tried to poison the king's wine, um, the cupbearer would have tried it first. Uh, you, you, you never had to ask a cupbearer how his day was going because if he's alive, it was good. It was a good day. So, so you had to have an intimate relationship with the king and the king had to fully trust him completely. He was with the king every day, the most highly trusted position. Some cupbearers, being so close to the king, would occasionally take bribes. They would be dishonest. I know this is hard for those of us who live in Chicago to believe, but back in that day, not everyone in government was honest. Actually, Artaxerxes' father was killed because a trusted servant took a bribe and, and was poisoned. Okay, that's, that's how this goes. It's just how it worked, okay? So Nehemiah has a pretty good life. Yeah, I drink wine for a living. I mean, that's, that's what he did. But he feels the call of God to do something crazy and he follows through. So the question I want, to, I want you to ask yourself over the next weeks of this series is, are you ready to do something crazy? 
Are you the kind of person that will take a risk and leave your place of comfort to do something radical for God as we all rebuild together? And more importantly, are we the kind of church that is ready for greater things for God, that as we come back, that, that we're rebuilding to a, a, an even better place? So today I wanna talk about the kind of person that God uses. Here, here we go, Nehemiah 1. In the month of Kislev, one of my brothers came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. Okay. Nehemiah learns that Jerusalem is in great trouble. The enemies have surrounded them and the walls are in ruins and morale is in shambles because the wall is gone. So Nehemiah says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept, okay? All the men and the women and the children have been taken from Jerusalem and only what's left are orphans and widows left in the city. It no longer has a means of resources to accommodate the needs of the people or protect them from the destructive forces that intended to harm them. The urban Jews were displaced and dispossessed. Look, orphans and widows alone in the city. Sound familiar? I mean, there's so many ways that we can project this story into our current inner city situations. It doesn't matter if it's the Babylonians or the Persians or drugs or gang or the welfare system or the penal system or the blatant social irresponsibility that has caused the fathers to be gone. It's still the same problem. I heard a sermon from Pastor D. McIntosh about Nehemiah in relation to the city. And, and, and she said, number one, he took seriously the report from people who were living in the midst of suffering and didn't insist on confirmation from outside sources to validate the reality of their misery. This is what I've been trying to do, you guys. Just listen to the people. Just, just understand that it is their misery. The second thing is he entered into an extended period of lament, which is a deep prayer based on a sense of sadness for other people. A deep prayer based on sadness for other people. And that's what I've been doing as well. Number three, he repented. First for the ancestral sin, and second for the sins of the Israelite nation, and third for his own complicity. And I've been doing some of that myself. But then he responded with concrete action. Nehemiah recognizes the context in which he lives. He recognizes that he lives in a state of privilege that those in the inner city do not have. You following this? He recognizes that he has the capacity to influence people who look just like him, who come from the same context as him and have the same resources. And he can take those resources and all that he has into the inner city of Jerusalem and help them. Nehemiah has resources and social capital as a high-ranking member of the king's court. That's just all there was to it. And you're gonna hear this story, it's gonna blow you away. And when he was awakened to the pain of the city, he took a risk to access and then spend that social capital and share those resources with people who desperately needed him. So what do we need to be if we're gonna be the kind of person God uses to rebuild? And I'm talking about rebuild your life, rebuild your company, rebuild our church, rebuild the world, whatever it is. The first thing is it's someone who cares. 
The first characteristic is someone who cares, all right? Somebody who just gives a flip, okay? I would like you to consider the possibility, I just want you to consider it, that there might be something that feels that way to you. Some area where something really bothers you. I mean, some of you are bothered by everything and you're just crabby. I I see you on social media. I need to call the ambulance, okay? I, I understand what's going on. But I'm talking about some area where God has kind of got you by the throat, like he has me. There's this growing sense of holy discontent in your life as you consider the possibility that God is calling you to make a difference. Now, Understand that Nehemiah is 800 miles from Jerusalem. He could have easily ignored the situation. Nehemiah had never lived in Jerusalem. He's always been in exile. Plus, Nehemiah was not a priest. He was not a prophet. He was a waiter, okay? He could have said, hey, let somebody else do it. And there is no uh, recorded message from God in here either. There's, there's like no burning bush. There's no dove from heaven. There's not even a still small voice that, that we know of that happened in Nehemiah. Somehow God put this desire in his heart and it was up to him to deal with it or let it die. And that's the same thing that is there for you and me. And all of the commentators <laughs> are quick to point out One other little bizarre piece of historical information. This news is 141 years old, (laughs) okay? This is not like this just happened. This happened 141 years ago. So this would be like me getting up and saying, you guys, Abraham Lincoln, President Abraham Lincoln has been shot. And then I'm all mourning and I'm fasting and I'm sad and I'm praying for three or four months and I just have this complete emotional meltdown. You'd be like, it seems kind of late. You'd be like, yeah, yeah, we know John Wilkes Booth. Yeah, we heard about that. That was a bummer. That was a while ago because emotionally everybody else had moved on. But you see, here's the problem. It is not uncommon It is not uncommon for our lives and our culture to have aspects in which things are broken and devastating. And they have been for so long that we don't even realize it matters anymore. Can I do that again? Put it back up there. It is not uncommon for our lives and our culture to have aspects in which things are broken and devastated and they have been for so long that we don't even realize it matters anymore more. Maybe it's our city. Maybe it's our business. Maybe it's our church. Our family can have aspects of broken and devastated, but because things have been that way for so long, it's just normal, right? It's just the way we always thought they have been. And that's the way things will always be. And that's the interesting thing about this period of of COVID-19, where we've all been forced to kind of rethink about everything. As we rebuild, we need to look at the stuff around us that's broken and decide how we're going to rebuild it, not just keep ignoring it. And listen, I don't, I don't believe that Nehemiah received new information. It was a new perspective. This is what I'm saying. It's not new information, it's a new perspective. I believe that, that God, that the Holy Spirit opened up Nehemiah's heart to have a different perspective. And that's what's been going on for me. One of the books that really affected me as I've been reading about the racial stuff is a book called Inherently Unequal. 
And it, it was about, as I mentioned last week, it was about that period of time in between the Civil War where I didn't even realize that, that black people had the right to vote because of a Civil Rights Act of 1875. And then basically it was just stolen away from them. All I knew is that when Dr. Martin Luther King came along and all these things happened, that things changed then. And, and that blacks had always been segregated to the back of the bus and had separate drinking fountains. But that wasn't true after the Civil War. That was not supposed to be the way that it was. And we have just seen things the same over and over for so long that we don't even know that they are broken. You have learned things through the coronavirus. You have new perspectives on your marriage, on your family, on your job. I mean, my son-in-law changed jobs in the middle of this. What is it gonna look like for you going forward? It's gotta be somebody who cares and it's gotta be somebody, number two, who prays, okay? Oh, here we go. We're doing church, right? No, no, just, just stay with me, okay? When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. And for some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. The first thing Nehemiah did was pray, as opposed to most of us who rush out and do something and then decide if it was a really good idea or not. Okay, me. Um, Nehemiah spent four months praying before he did anything else. That's not his temperament, man. He's not a monk. I'll give you an indication of his temperament. Nehemiah is a little bit like me, maybe you. We get to the end of the book and he hears about people who are disobeying God and becoming idolaters and they'd made this agreement not to do this and he literally just loses it. He goes spider monkey on them, <laughs> listen to this. I rebuked them and I called down curses on them and I beat some of the men and I pulled out their hair and I made them take an oath in God's name. That is his temperament. That's who he is. I'm not saying that's good leadership. I'm just saying like, this is not a guy, you know, a prayer guy. But godly leaders make prayer their first priority instead of their last resort. As a matter of fact, Nehemiah spent 52 days rebuilding the wall, but he spent four months praying for it first. What kind of prayer was it? Well, first of all, it was a prayer of confession. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to the prayer, to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins that we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. Should always come with an attitude of humility to God. That would keep us from doing most of the dumb things we do right there, wouldn't it? His prayer was not just personal confession, but it was also national confession. And the interesting thing is that Nehemiah wasn't even born when the people had sinned. Yet he joined in responsibility. That's leadership. And if that sounds like the culture of where we're going on right now, that's exactly right. And it was also a prayer of confidence. Nehemiah has to go before the king. And we'll get on into this story next week. It's so fascinating. It says, these are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand, O Lord. Let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. He's getting ready to go into the king who runs the world. And he says, give me success. Have you ever prayed, Lord, give me success in what it is that I'm about to do? 
Well, why wouldn't you? What's the alternative? Lord, make me a failure? Listen, if you don't get anything else but this, this is important. If you can't ask God to make you a success at what you're doing, you better start doing something else. Nehemiah believed that it was important and he believed that it would happen. And the problem is a lot of Christians are like the early church in Acts 12. Don't feel bad if this is you sometimes and me sometimes. One of my favorite stories, Peter is in prison and the church is praying for him to be released. And God answers the prayer and he causes an earthquake and he busts Peter out of prison and Peter walks over to their house where they're praying. And a servant girl goes to the door, knock on the door, and she opens the door and realizes it's Peter. And she freaked out and shut the door and went back in <laughs> and, and told her small group that was gathered there, hey, hey, that thing we, we were praying for, I think it just happened, Peter's outside. And they said, no, uh, man, we gotta stop drinking wine in our small group. I don't know who that is, but it can't be Peter. Well, here's the... Actual version. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting it was so, they said, it must be Peter's angel. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter, how did you get out? Well, you were praying for me to get out, remember? Listen, I don't know why God busted Peter out of prison, but I don't think it had anything to do with the prayers of this church. They didn't even believe God could do it, okay? God does what he wants to do sometimes, but Nehemiah prayed for four months, and I think this prayer evolved, okay? I don't know, but I think the prayer evolved. I would guess this is the way that it went. I would guess that he started out saying, oh God, please help those people in Jerusalem. They are discouraged. The walls are down. Please send someone to help them. The orphans and the widows, they need you. And along the way, God, who is the ultimate father, after he had been praying that for a month or two, I believe God is the ultimate father, said what fathers have been saying throughout the course of time. See if you can finish this with me. Will Nehemiah, are your arms broken? Why don't you do it? So then the prayer turned to logistics of how he was going to do it, which meant that first off, he was going to go to his boss and ask for a leave of absence to go do something that the boss had already decided should not be done. Listen to Andy Stanley's take on this. Nehemiah prayed for opportunities to share his plan, an open door to talk with the king. Our tendency is to pray for miracles. But in most situations, it is more appropriate to pray for opportunities. More than likely, you need an opportunity rather than something supernatural. If you have a parent, you probably have a vision for your children. Instead of just simply praying that they would become men and women of character, pray for opportunities to build character into their lives. Your vision involves you. You have a role. You have a part to play. If you have a vision for unbelieving friends, don't simply pray that they will be saved. Pray for an opportunity to speak to them about Christ, to have a relationship with them. Isn't it interesting that Nehemiah didn't pray for God to rebuild the wall. He prayed for the opportunity to go rebuild it himself. Do you understand that? that that's why the third part about who God uses to rebuild. It's someone who cares, it's someone who prays, it's someone who is willing. 
He gets a passion for the project and he decides to take it on. And again, Artaxerxes has already forbidden the wall to be rebuilt. We learned that in the book of Ezra. So this is a crazy huge idea here. He's a, he's a waiter, cupbearer who lives 800 miles away. And at some point he has to question, why do I have a burden for this project? I'm so far away from where I need to be. And some of you may be in the same boat. You may be like, I'm, I, I, if I'm on the brink of something divine, then why am I stuck here doing something not remotely connected to what I feel God has put in my heart to do? There's no doubt that Nehemiah asked that question every time an image of Jerusalem broken down passed through his mind. Lord, why am I in Persia? I wanna be a builder, not a bartender. But God knew exactly what he was doing. He had Nehemiah in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing. You see, unbeknownst to Nehemiah and King Artaxerxes, God had spent years preparing and positioning these men for what is about to unfold. So consider this, from the time Nehemiah was a little boy, God had been engineering the circumstances to ensure him a place among the palace servants. And from there, God is maneuvering him through the ranks of the Persian officials. And he's being noticed for his integrity and his trustworthiness. If we could just be noticed for our integrity and our trustworthiness, people are going to want to hear about the rest of our lives. They're going to trust us and God's gonna give us opportunities. Eventually, he is recommended to the king by some unknown palace staff person and one day he is appointed to this super important position of cupbearer. Like a master strategist, God has been working behind the scenes, putting all the players into position. And of course, that's easy for me to say. I've, I've read this story many times. I know how it ends up. Nehemiah doesn't. He had no idea that his years of servitude to the king had any divine significance whatsoever. And maybe that's the same way that you feel. You have got to tune in next week, you guys, and listen to how God does this. I told my staff last week, man, this is gonna be our theme going forward. We're gonna be people who care, people who pray, and people who are willing. That's how we're going to rebuild. I don't know that there have been many other times in the history of the church that have been more precarious and had more opportunity than 2020. None of us knew it was gonna happen, but that's how I feel. The church got started in Acts and then persecution hit and that was precarious and the church could have died, but instead persecution forced the church to go into all the world and become salt and light in places they never would have gone. Sound familiar? Precarious opportunity. And then there's the whole racial controversy of allowing the Gentiles in the church, which was very precarious and provided an opportunity. Does that sound familiar? And here we are, what's going to happen to the church? The kingdom of God. We're forced online, we can't meet in person. The economy is gonna be hit hard. People are messed up from addictions and problems that nobody knows about because everybody's been hiding at home. It gives me a headache. I'm just gonna be honest. Someone who was mad at me because of the way I'm leading the church told me recently that maybe it was just time for me to retire and turn the place over to somebody else. And, and I just had to laugh because you don't know how much I'd love to do that. I just want to get a lawn mowing job at a golf course and listen to 70s music on my headphones all day and make lines in the grass. That's all I want to do. 
But I have to tell you, whether you like my leadership or not, I know I'm here for such a time as this. God gave me 37 years of ministry experience and a great team and great elders and all of the resources that he's given us because this is the most important challenge of our lifetime. People need Jesus like never before and great things are going to happen. So I'm gonna care and I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna be willing because I feel like if I ran the other way, I'd be swallowed by a whale. That's, that's just the truth of it. And I'm asking you to do the same. This is our prayer. Nehemiah 1.10. I want you to pray it with me, okay? These are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand, O Lord. Let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servants success today by granting us your favor. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Be back next week. Same bad time, same bad channel. You don't want to miss the story of the king and what he does to help Nehemiah. Thanks again for joining us today, everyone. As schools are discerning how to proceed with educational plans for the fall, we want to encourage you all to be praying. The Bible tells us to pray for our leaders, and right now, our school administrations and teachers definitely need our prayers. We also know that those of you who are parents need some wisdom and discernment too. I know that I do. There are lots of people trying to figure out what's in everyone's best interest. So let's ask God to intervene and trust him to be at work as we continue moving into the future. What we do know is that school in one form or another is going to resume at some point. And you also know that the people of Parkview love making a difference in our communities. Every year we run a campaign called Pack the Backpack and it's happening again this year. Now, like everything else, it'll feel a little bit different than years past. And as a podcast listener, you have a few options for how you can participate. You can put together a conventional backpack for kids who will be returning to in-person learning if you happen to live near one of our campuses in the Chicagoland area. But you can also donate online and our team members will assemble a backpack for you. There's even an option this year to support a teacher. If you happen to be in need of support, listen, there's also a form you can fill out to receive one of these backpacks for your child. Drop off at our three physical campus locations will be on August 8th, all right? August 8th is the drop-off date for our Pack the Backpack campaign. You can learn more about all of this at parkviewchurch.com slash packthebackpack. Thanks in advance for being on Mission Parkview. And thanks for being a part of Parkview on the go today, everyone. Take care.